Hello and welcome to Maven's Athenaeum, where you'll find magic hidden in plain sight. I'm your host, Maven, and I'm so excited that you're here with me today. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Maven's Athenaeum. I'm Maven, and today my friend from high school, AJ, is going to be joining us. Before we get into the book and what we thought about it, I need to let you all know what's going on with Patreon. So for those of you who tuned in last month, you'll know that I paused my Patreon mailing system. I have a lot on my plate this coming year, and I would just like to make sure that all of the spaces where my energy has to be is getting the best that they possibly can. This doesn't mean that I am no longer sending out mail. It's just on an order type basis. So what you're going to do is if you are a current and up-to-date Patreon subscriber, you'll be able to access my Patreon page and you'll just scroll through the feed until you find the redesigned cover that you want and all you have to do is comment. Once I see that you've commented, I will package up your order and send it to you. You don't need to pay for anything extra. There are no additional fees. If you're subscribed, your subscription covers shipping and handling. I am going to be revising the first two chapters that I released on my Patreon if you haven't gotten a chance to read what I've already written, now's your last chance before I take it all back and revise it again. And as always, if you want to support me, my art, this podcast, go on over to patreon.com forward slash the happiest pumpkin and you can subscribe to any of those tiers available. I have a $1 tier for people who just want access to the content and want to support. I have a $3 tier for stickers, so if you're on the sticker tier and you comment on the post for this month, I'll send you your sticker. I have a $5 tier where you can start collecting my bookmarks, a $7 tier for tarot readings, and a $10 tier for everything. I do have an additional tier for about $30, which I use for commissions, so if you would like a commissioned piece of art, hop on to my Patreon and subscribe to the $30 tier. When you get there, there's instructions on what type of commission you'd like and how much your pledge will need to be. Okay, so like I said, we'll start out with uh, me introducing you. So this is my friend AJ. We started out as friends in high school and after some reconnecting we've started talking again uh so tell us a little bit about yourself just anything that you want to share with anybody who might be listening uh sure um i 
am living in Minnesota. Love it here, even though it is constantly snowing, it feels like. Um, I also am a writer, and I specifically love fantasy and sci-fi. That is some of my favorite types of books to write and to read. I've always been attracted to it. Um, I specifically write young adults around the age of 21 to 35 is my general range. So... Yep, I'm a writer. Um, I have two degrees. I have a degree in ancient languages and a degree in European history. So I like to use those degrees as much as possible in my writings because I don't use it for my work. So <laughs> I gotta <laughs> make the money worth it. <laughs> <laughs> what? How do you select your books? I kind of made this a little segment on my TikTok of how to how other people select their books so how do you go about picking books that you'll read so first and foremost um it has to have a synopsis or just a general outline or what the book is about on the back or at least easily accessible i hate books with that has like oh so and so said it was fantastic oh so and so said that it was marvelous and it was the next harry potter like i don't want to read that i want to read what the book is about so i always check the back of the book or at least on the sides if it's whether it's hard copy or or paper copy or hard cover or soft cover whatever you want to call it paperback paperback i'm sorry (laughs) it's okay I, i know a lot of languages so my brain sometimes forgets how to formulate English sentences. <laughs> so, I, first and foremost, it has to have an about section of the book. Um, and if the general idea world sounds interesting to me, then I'll at least give it a shot. Uh, I typically go on Goodreads, stuff like that, to see more reviews. Um, if it's higher than like a 4.0 then I'll possibly give it a shot I like to go for the more free books first like at least for the first book if it's in the series if it's free I'll read it and if I fall in love with it then I'll buy like the entire series like the next day so um, it also has to have a pretty cover I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover but I do <laughs> Uh, If I ever go to a library specifically to check out a book instead of going to a thrift store to buy a book, I always look at the spine to see how worn it is. If it's really well-worn, then I know that it's been loved by many. And if it isn't well-worn and it's an older book, so like if I look at the first couple pages and the copyright is, you know, 2005 and it's not a very worn um, spine, then I'm like, nah, it's really, it's probably not that good of a book then if no one... Like the librarians are recommending it so that's some of the key features in a book that i look for to find a good one and don't give anything away yet but did you like red queen by the end yes okay <laughs> so that's kind of half a segue into introducing the book we read the red queen by victoria abiard I was recommended this book by my friend who goes by the name Hina. It has 383 pages, 28 chapters, plus an epilogue. 
took me about 18 days to read. There are a couple of trigger warnings. There is betrayal, death, discrimination, murder, violence, and war. But there are representation of persons of color. Um, and I don't know if anybody cares about tropes, but there was uh, fake royalty tropes and a love triangle trope. I hate love triangle tropes. <laughs> <laughs> Every time that happened in the book, I was like, no so, more. Until I got to the end, I thought that it was like a weird, like, like five person trope. And we oh will go God. into this more later, of course. But there were like, until I got to the end and I kind of understood people a little bit better. I'm like, hmm, how many there's per- a lot of people. <laughs> like, how many people are you in love with? Yeah, like, how many, like what's all going on? This is getting a little hairy. It's, it's seeming like the author is biting off more than she can chew, but by the end, she sold me, so that's all that matters. All right, so this book is about her name is Mare Barrow, I believe is how they pronounce that name. Um, so she is what's called a red blood, and this world or universe is split in two. Who is born with red blood, so like they bleed red. And who is blood? Who is born silver blood? Those who bleed like a silver translucent e liquid. Um, and the red bloods are seen as almost less than human. They're practically slaves to the silver bloods. Uh, they're horribly abused. They're impoverished. And Mare is a. She is born with red blood from a family of red bloods she has several older brothers and a baby sister um she loves her entire family she has a interesting relationship with her mom and also an interesting relationship with her dad but a certain someone comes in and gives her a job to work with the royals because she is about to be constricted to going into the military. If you are 18 years plus and you don't have a job lined up, you are automatically going to go to the front lines against another kingdom. So it's this kingdom versus another. And Mare goes into the... uh, it's it's a royal ceremony that's happening and the queen's trial yeah the queen's trial yeah which is a super cool thing i really liked it and that was actually one of the parts when i read of the queen's trial that made me really interested in this book so she got to the queen's trial she realized that she has powers and then since then her life is turned upside down and she's trying to survive this world of royals it Reminding me a little bit of, if you've seen Game of Thrones, like, oh, what's her name? Starts with an S. She's the redhead girl in Game of Thrones. Sansa? It's, yeah, Sansa. Um, how she kind of tries to survive, like, Joffrey and his mom. That's the kind of vibe I got with Mare trying to survive these royals. And just like, I just want to live. I don't want my family to die. <laughs> I will do whatever you say, almost within reason, but that's essentially it. She 
there are quite a few other details in the middle that we can go over to, but that's just the gist. All right. What would you like to talk about first? Um, I would like to... There are a couple of themes that I really like and a couple of themes that I don't. Which would you like to hear first? Let's start with the good. Okay. I did actually like her relationship with her siblings specifically. Her parents, I wasn't... Well, I understood why she didn't have a good relationship with her parents. That's excusable. Her her siblings, though, I really loved how much she cared about her siblings. It's very much like how I care about mine. Um, she pierced her ears with little earrings that her brothers, when they went off to war, they bought their two baby sisters a pair of earrings and they each pierced their own ears with one of the sets so like they would get a set and they would split the set in two and they would wear it constantly i loved that theme that she had those earrings in the entire time throughout the book and like she always had her brothers with her i have tattoos of close people that i consider family on my body that we have like matching tattoos and I'm planning on getting some for me and my sisters. So when I read that part, it, oh, my heart, I'm like, yes. Like finally someone who doesn't hate their siblings and isn't so completely alone. And even though she is, but I really like that part. I did really like how a lot of the men were written. I tend to hate a lot of the men in fantasy novels, especially if it's supposed to be in this type of mostly era but there is a poverty trope too i consider it a poverty trope where a man comes and saves a woman because he has money yeah and i'm glad he didn't flaunt it i'm glad cal was a decent human being the entire time like he of course struggled and he had to face some moral dilemmas throughout the book but he deeply cared about her and he felt responsible for Bear. So I loved their relationship and uh, Maven I'll get into Maven later but I did like their relationship as well especially in the beginning I thought that he was a young little brat like the first two chapters that he was a part of and then after that I'm like okay he's a decent human being he's forced into this he doesn't want this either so there was a lot of things that I really did gravitate towards in this book that I didn't think I would. I liked the part with her siblings, too, especially when she started her new life in the castle and the maids were helping her get dressed and, and all put together and they went to take off her earrings and she was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. You have to keep those. I also love the little nods to how blood changes how you look. So those silver bloods they tend to be fairer toned um because the blood that makes them flush is silver so it's it's more shimmery and when they blush like when they're embarrassed they get paler and i thought i thought that was just a cute little addition in the book yeah that was it made the setting more real mm-hmm. that the author didn't just say that like cal or maven blushed like, yeah because you would assume that to be like a, a peachy red or you mm-hmm. know like tomato face but 
she explains, like, they're silver, so their cheeks turn white, or, uh, I can't remember how she described it. It was like, um, it, it did have a pink tinge, but it was very, very, it's more like a blue-toned blush, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. That's how I remember it being described. I think she said it was, like, icy. Yes, icy. And that, that was one thing that I really liked, so she... Mare always described the silvers as icy and cold. And anytime the author was describing... Okay, I'm going to back up really quick. So the silvers have abilities. One of her tutors makes very distinction between using the word power and the word ability. Because silvers believe in power in general as like a strength as like having power over somebody and then their abilities are just what they're born with their magical abilities to like evangeline to control metal or the nymphs who control water or cal and maven who control fire that was that was fun. And then how she used each of the characters' abilities to describe their physical features, like how Evangeline was always sharp and rigid and cold and dangerous. And Cal was always warm and had an, an air of, like, like, she knew when he was there because he just exuded warmth because he's a fire. I thought that was pretty fun. It was really cool. I liked how, like, the strong people had slightly bigger hands and bigger muscles or so like the women in the book when they're described she never once mentioned oh this person is ugly because they had this this girl had bigger hands and she crushed mountains with it like she she made it sound like they were beautiful and goddesses and they just had slightly bigger hands and it was obviously noticeable but that didn't turn them ugly. Right, that was an attractive feature. Yeah, I felt like that was something that a lot of, especially Mare, I don't think Mare would have described those women as ugly. Maybe other Silvers would have. Yeah. But as a Red, she would have been like, whoa. (laughs) So I did really like how the author did consistently write as the character, since it is first person, written as what Mare is going through, what she is thinking at the time. So it's it's pretty consistent. It doesn't really jump where I know some authors have that issue where they want to add in a little too much maturity or a little too much immaturity. And it's not very consistent. But one of the things that I did really, really like, this is one of the reasons why I wasn't a huge fan of the beginning is because Mare was so immature. Mm-hmm. And then she very quickly matured. Yeah. When she was forced to be a princess. Um, I think that was the part where I started to really like Mare. Because I'm like, okay, I'm really not into this child, essentially. <laughs> she is a child. This child is just like, this, this is just a trope. And it's kind of exhausting to read about. Mm-hmm. And then she matures like, like that. Now I'm interested. That's my type of book. I'm like, okay, so she's actually learning that this is her survival. She needs to not be stupid. There are so many books out there where the the main female protagonist stays stupid. 
Yep. I was like, no, no, not when it's life or death. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't forget that, so... The, like, I'm clumsy, and I always fall down, and I'm covered in bruises, but I'm versed in all types of combat, and I use a weapon. Like, mm-hmm. no, a clumsy person would not use a weapon. She didn't have a weapon. Well, she, her, her power. Yeah. But she was not like Katniss Everdeen. Mm-mm. Which I was so <laughs> thankful for, because when I first started to read it, that is how the tone felt to me was the Hunger Games. I'm like, okay, so it's going to be another one of these. Especially with the arena thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so it's 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 giving Dys- Katniss everything. <laughs> yeah, like it's a dystopian, a government that is it got its head in the clouds is in charge, and all the little people are suffering. We get it. Do I want to mm-hmm. finish this? <laughs> but. And I wasn't a huge fan of how she found out how she got her powers. But after that, like, it, it got really interesting. And I did really like the queen. Like, I I love to hate her, I should say. Right, like, she's, you like her as a villain because she's a good yeah, villain. She is a, a really good villain. She's evil as hell. And Like, you want to punch her in the face. Yes, but... Also, Loki want to be her <laughs> kind of genie. Like she's, she is smart. I think that's how she's supposed to be, though, as a whisper. I don't know if she would be, like, okay. Personally, I don't know if I could call her smart. I think her ability makes her smart because she can get into everybody's heads. She doesn't have to guess about anything. She has pretty much the power I would want, which is to read people's minds, so I know what I'm supposed to be doing and acting and. You know, oh, is this person mad at me? Yes, they are, because I just snuck into their mind. She is so cool. But she can also control people's minds Mm -hmm. and how they think. And that is one thing that I really liked in the beginning of the book when Maven was talking about his mother, describing his mom like, she's always in my head and I don't know what's my thoughts and what's hers. And in that moment, and it it paralleled the ending, and we can get to the ending later, but it, it... paralleled the ending so well mm-hmm. i wonder that if line. she's gonna use that in some of the other books i have a feeling me too like i i'm just gonna make a guess i don't think i'll read the other books unless i can get them on audiobook just because i just don't have them and i don't know if i can afford them right now but i have a feeling that that phrasing specifically is gonna come back and either maven's gonna use it or it's just gonna be like a thing that happens like no i didn't actually do any of those things my mom was in control of me the whole time and i didn't actually think that stuff which when from a very young age if you have been abused to that point where your thoughts are even your thoughts and you are forced to think how your mom thinks you're going to do whatever she says just to get some reprieve. And so I, I have a lot of sympathy. I, I know a lot of people probably don't, but I have sympathy for Maven. <laughs> I have sympathy for Cal, too, and Mare, and the only person that I don't really have sympathy for is the king and the queen. Like, they, they deserve everything that's coming to them. So Yeah. Um... Okay, there was one thing that I specifically wrote down because it's just a really small thing that I love when authors do. 
especially fantasy authors, because there's that meme that people make of, I was reading a fantasy book and the main character went to the city of and like you just make up words because you don't actually know how to pronounce what they're saying. They were so Victoria didn't explain how to say one of her fantasy words. She had Farley explain what a coup d'etat was and like pronounced it out for the readers. And I was like, ah, we're teaching literacy. Yes. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it was great. I love that. I was, I rooted for it. <laughs> I love it when authors do that. Um, I am notorious for writing complicated names and complicated towns. And because I, I speak multiple languages, so I know how to say these things, but sometimes I forget. So whenever I have my partner read some of this stuff, he's like, I don't even know how to pronounce this stuff. Like these, these names. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to either simplify it or explain it somehow, some way. Because <laughs> not everyone is weird like me. So. <laughs> okay, so do you have any other positive things? thoughts about this or should we get into the book bashing um yes so there is one character he is my favorite side character and the moment we met him he became my favorite immediately even though i had like someone like, mm, is he actually a good guy um it's i believe his name is julian or julius yeah the his or her teacher yep i love him so much and i continued to love him throughout his reasoning his his knowledge everything that he did because he's he's a singer he can not necessarily control people's minds but he can to a degree he has the power of persuasion basically yeah. it, like if he asks for it you're giving it to him whether you really want to or not he's gonna make you believe that you want to he never uses it for evil though yep. and i absolutely love him throughout the entire thing like he he treats mayor like a human and he's really the only person that truly does it amongst the royals like even cal and, and maven they treat her almost like glass like oh like we can't let her be exposed because then we're all screwed so they they kind of coddle her a little bit and treat her like a like a princess mm -hmm. and the king and queen view her as a mutt as a slave as, as nothing so the first real person that actually looks at her as a human is is her teacher and so i love their dynamic so much and i feel like more books should have dynamics like that and don't turn him evil because it happens so often <laughs> where the person that she trusts the most turns on her and like that does happen in this book but the one person i didn't want to hurt her was her teacher and he didn't it was okay so <laughs> i was glad that's all i wanted okay i'm gonna kick off the book bashing by saying yeah. that i'm a little mad that the author did not take advantage of manipulating her 
nickname because Mare has this nickname that the royals give her the little or the lightning girl mm-hmm. and um she doesn't like it because she doesn't want to be known for her abilities she just wants to be herself and I think that there was a complete and utter missed opportunity um on page 299 little lightning girl it's the nickname for her but this was an occasion where they could have said little lovesick lightning girl and just twisted the knife a little more and they didn't and i want that i I wasn't a huge fan of little lightning girl because it sounded very wordy when when you're bullying someone you say something like oh that's just sparky that's just you you gotta make it short and sweet enough but also descriptive enough to really punch them i don't know derogatory but little lightning girl is just just a lot in the mouth that makes sense i don't know like i can see how that would be a jab in the ribs like it almost sounds like a title the lightning girl because she's the lightning girl but Mm -hmm. she's the little lightning girl and then she'd be the little lovesick lightning girl like you're a stupid little girl who is only good for one thing a lot to boil over when you're in bed at night and trying to sleep that is very true i don't know i really loved george r r martin's books and how violent and how like undercutting a lot of the like politics were and Mm -hmm. how it like yeah, sure, maybe I can hide that that hurt my feelings, but it's really gonna kill me in the middle of the night when I'm all alone and I don't have anybody around me to tell me otherwise. That's the kind of stuff I like, where, like, you just take it a little too far to show, like, I dare you. Come Mm -hmm. at me. (laughs) I was gonna say, Tyrion was really, really good at knocking people down a couple pegs. Oh, yeah, and I loved some of the stuff that, like, Cersei did, and even Danny. Everyone in that series is pretty spiteful, and I love it. I'm yeah. here for it. That's all that I'm <laughs> looking for. Okay, so... I didn't, tell I me didn't something get a lot of spitefulness, like, to a degree with Mare, but I don't know. I It was just Evangeline who was acting out of spite. Yeah. When she and didn't it, even have any reason yeah. to. She still got the place she wanted. She still got to be queen, technically. I don't understand. That was one of the things that I did not like about the book it i don't like throwing this word around because i don't actually mean it but it's like slightly it felt a little misogynistic just a touch like the whole evangeline scenario like yes she obviously hates this person who came in but she would have hated anyone who became maven's soon-to-be bride why well what what reasoning does she have because if evangeline was actually smart she would have befriended whoever maven was engaged to and use them as a pawn not fuck with them on a daily basis that's that just doesn't make any sense to me like if she was if she was truly spiteful if she truly wanted complete and utter power she wouldn't try to cause fear she would be friends with them and use that friendship to her advantage right I think it just was a plot device to show how immature and unintelligent the Silvers really were at times, because this is 
yet another generation of Silvers who was taught that they're better than the Reds, and Evangeline especially, like, I'm... Lord Samos probably just filled her head with your special, your special, your special, you're going to be the next queen, you have to be better than everybody else, and she was, but didn't tell her how to play the politics chess game, didn't tell her, like, you need to learn how to make friends, powerful friends, even less powerful friends, you need to be friends with the people who will get you in the back doors, the front doors, the ceiling, you need friends in high and low places. I don't think anybody told her that. I think she was just taught grab for power, fight tooth and claw. You are the strongest. You will win. And that's kind of all that she did. I think she was just really immature. And after Mare accidentally shot at her with a lightning bolt, because she didn't know what was happening. She was just like, what's going on with my hands? And then boom, goes right past Evangeline's head. I can see how that would spark a little bit of a, um, what is it? Grudge. Yeah, grudge, a rivalry, enemies. You know, if somebody throws something at me, I'm not really gonna like them for probably forever. Just the extent that she went to it was a little, a little much. Yeah, I can see that point. I'm just, I'm just surprised that she wasn't able to at least hold her tongue a little bit because she it wasn't like she wasn't around royalty it wasn't like she wasn't around the court she was she grew up near it so she knew how to act she knew what to Mm -hmm. do and she didn't do it so it just felt very like you can't have female friends like females can't have female friends that was the vibe that i was getting and quite a few of mayor's friends are men or boys yeah, I don't even think she has any female friends. I don't think she, anybody in the Scarlet Guard would really be considered her friend. Yeah, I'm not. I can't think of a single person. They're all men. All of her friends. So well, she just kind of really only has the one from the stilts. Cal, I wouldn't call Cal her friend. They're acquainted. Her, <laughs> yeah, Cal is her friend. I, I do believe um, Maeve, especially like Maven in the the first three three quarters of the book they were friends <laughs> and, uh, and all who was Kilron Kilorn what Kilorn Kilorn yeah he's definitely a friend her brothers she's always has always been really close to her brothers um and wasn't really close to her sister she was closer to her dad than her mom I don't know it just feels very isolated yeah and when I first started to read it it did feel like a pick me girl mm-hmm. like that kind of vibe and I just I'm just not a fan of that I do believe that the only reason why she was put in that position to where she was friends with men I think it was probably because a lot of the women in her village just didn't want to be associated with her mm-hmm. they saw that she was trouble and all the guys just didn't care uh, which is fair because she was trouble so <laughs> I probably wouldn't have hung out with her either. So, But it wasn't like she really made an effort. That was just one of the aspects of the book. I know it's a small aspect, but that was one of the turnoffs for me, was she didn't have any female friends. She didn't have anyone that she could look up to that was a female figure. Mm-hmm. And even her teacher. She had two teachers, and she gravitated more towards her male teacher than her female teacher. Yeah, her female teacher came off as cold and distant and 
saw her as trash because she came from the Red Village and was like, yeah, you're just, forgive my language, but savage and you need Uh to be tamed and brought into our, quote, wonderful, wonderful world. And like you said, Julian was the only one that saw her as like a whole person who deserved her own respect for her own reasons. Mm-hmm. There was another trope in here that I didn't like, and it was, it started on page 14. Um, it was the, I'm a, I'm a plain looking girl, but all the, all the guys like me. Oh, I didn't even catch that. So it, it was very subtle, but I caught it like from the get. I'm like, oh God, why? <laughs> so annoying. Um... And then I did, I really, really loved her relationship. Killorn, I really loved her relationship with him. It was, that was one of the ones where I'm like, okay, is this going to be a Gail Katniss kind of scenario? Or is this going to be a Peta Katniss kind of scenario? Or what is this going to be like? Is she going to be in love with him? Is he in love with her? Because for a while there, I thought that he was in love with her. Oh, he is. I will vouch for that. He loves her. He was willing to risk his life for her. And she's willing to risk her life for him. Like, she did risk her life for him. But she was very adamant. Like, he was the only one who was there for me when I was younger. I have to protect my only friend. And a part of that weird, like, five-point love triangle, whatever you want to call it, uh, was her little sister was in love with Killorn. Right. she she had a she had a little crush on him and whenever he came by she tried to look as pretty as possible and was like hi and like that was me uh one of my high school classmates had an older brother and i was that dorky like 14 year old that was like oh he's home from college and he didn't pay me no mind but <laughs> and i was always like oh he's so cute <laughs> so i i get why she was really into Kill. I don't get why uh, Kill was not into her. And that's probably why there was a little bit of a rift between the sisters because the little sister thought that her older sister was competition. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sweetie, there is no competition. Like, it's, it's Mare. So. Yeah. By page, it was actually at the very end of page 12. I. I did like the developing a relationship of Maven and Mare. It was so cute. And ultimately, his, I actually saw the betrayal coming. If we want to talk about that now, we can talk yeah. about that later. You can talk about um, it whenever you want. So when Evangeline and Mare were fighting, mm-hmm. and then she started to bleed, which is a massive no-no. Like, she, that was bad. Because she'd if, bleed red, and everybody would yeah. be able to see it, and there's no way to cover that up. Exactly. So when she said to Maven, let's go to Julian, I can't, I can never remember his name. I apologize. No, it's Julian. Yeah. Let's go to Julian. He was visible. Like he was really upset. And I was like, um, okay. So either Julian is bad or Maven is bad. And I had nothing to go on that Maven was a bad person other than they didn't like each other. And why would they hate each other? Like, what reason could there possibly be? And Julian hated Maven. They, they, if they could kill each other, they would. 
And that interaction immediately sparked several questions like, okay, someone is the monster here. It's one of these two. And I don't even understand what Julian's qualm was with Maven in the first place other than it was very clear that Alara used her her whisper ability to make the previous queen, Cal's mom, kill herself. Yeah. And maybe Maven is just the product of a new marriage that took Julian's sister from him? So by the end of the book, I kind of gathered that Julian saw a lot of his mother in Maven. Well, he did say Maven is his mother's son. Yeah, and when that whole scene happened, when he said that Maeve is his mother's son, it it just really hit me that there was 100% going to be a betrayal. And the fact that he was a part of the Scarlet Guard, who in the Scarlet Guard um, are the individuals that are fighting against the Silverbloods. Yep. They, They want freedom for fellow Reds. Julian is a part of the Scarlet Guard, and so is Maven. And why did they hate each other? What's going on? And the the only logical conclusion that I had was that Maven was going to turn on. I wasn't sure if he was going to turn on Mare, but turn against somebody pretty severely. He was going to make a power play. Yeah. And I had a very strong feeling he was either going to kill Cal or do something to where Cal was no longer able to be king, and then he could be. Because Maeve is the second-born son. Mm-hmm. But, and we all know the second-born son trope. Mm-hmm. I, I, too, saw that betrayal coming from a mile away, especially with the love triangle thing. There is no way that, like, Maven would have been... Oh, as okay as he was with handing Mare over to Cal to take her home for that night. If he actually mm-hmm. liked her and was planning on keeping her around. Because at that point, they had, like, started to get along and, you know, started to kind of like each other as acquaintances. You know, people that were smushed together and decided, you know, we're gonna be stuck this way. We might as well not kill each other. See, I thought that was closer to, like, a bribe. Like, hey, please like me. Don't hate me. I'll give you whatever I possibly can give you. I would have accepted that if he would have, like, pulled Cal aside and been really strict about, like, taking care of her and not laying a hand on her and, like, keeping his hands to himself or, you know, any of that. Because Cal seems to be a little bit of a ladies' man since all of the girls were very disappointed to not win the Queen's trial. Mm-hmm. Not just I mean, for the fact of not being queen. Yeah, he was a very good-looking guy, apparently, which is whatever. He's 19 years old. He's still a child to me. So, he's a 26-year-old. I'm like, these are all children. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why I had such a disconnect at the beginning of this book, is that I'm 26, and even when I was a teenager, I read books that were a little bit more mature. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean, like, sex scenes. I mean just mature. Right. The main characters are older than you, so you have somebody to look up to, somebody you want to grow into, not Mm -hmm. somebody who you used to be. Yeah, so it felt very, like I was backtracking a little bit. When I was first reading uh, the book, I turned to my partner, and I'm like, I would 
be obsessed with this book and probably this book series if I started reading it five years ago when I was closer to the age of these characters. Yeah. And I feel like I'm just slightly out of the range. So, but that's just me personally. And that's about where my friend was when they recommended this book to me. They were about in that age, so I can see why they liked it so much. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have a question for you. Sure. So this is something that annoys me, and I was wondering if you caught on to this. So it was right before the ball, right before the explosion and, and the Scarlet Guard were going to kill a bunch of people um, that were the, the upper crust of the Silvers. It frustrated me that she, it seemed like she almost forgot about it when she was talking to Cal and they were dancing and stuff like that. How do you feel she should have handled the information that things were about to drastically change? Do you think the author did a good job in writing how Mare would have done it? Or do you think that it would have, should have been a little bit more mature? What do you mean? Like when Maven gave up the four names of the people to be killed? No, I'm talking about Mare. So when Mare and Cal were dancing. Uh Uh-huh. And she knew that one, Cal was going to be in the front lines in a couple of days. So he could have, he could be dead soon. And two, there's a massive war that's about to start amongst, like, the Silvers versus the Reds. Mm-hmm. And she was going to be a part of it, of that war. Oh, so you're talking, like, at the at the parting ball, right before so right, it breaks out. So right before, so, like, it would be... Or when they're before. dancing in secret. When they're dancing in secret. Okay, so when he's teaching her to dance. Uh, yeah. You felt like the author should have done a better job of, like, showing how it was weighing on Mare. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's hard to write things if we haven't experienced them. So she, the author might not have been in a place where she had to send somebody away to war um, or, you know, had to make any big decisions. It's fantasy. So, you know, you have to make those things up. I don't know. What would you have liked to see? Because I don't know if I can make a good judgment. Did you want her to be, like, more debilitated? Like, this was a lot for her and wanted her to be more reclusive? Did you want more, like, internal monologue? See, I felt like she was a little too wishy-washy on it. Like, she should have been either Mare is inconsolable or Mare doesn't care. Like, she shut off her emotions because that's the only way to survive. I think Mare probably would have gone to shutting off emotions, and I can see how that might have come through a little bit. Not, maybe not as potent as we need, but that Mm -hmm. seems close. And, I don't know, I just, I wanted her to either be one or the other. Like, freaking out that people that she knows, they're gonna die. Like how they were at the, when they arrived to, um, the, like, capitol building and they got to meet all of the the silver court and she met the guy that had the twins and knew that he was gonna die i really liked that 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 part when she freaked out was really that made sense to me that she was like oh my god this guy's a father he has kids i wouldn't want somebody to kill my dad Mm -hmm. that made sense yeah No, I, I did really like that. 
So what what the author did in that part, I really, really liked on how she describes like the emotional turmoil of you're sentencing someone to die and that person doesn't even know it. And you have to pretend to to like them, to make small talk with to them. To meet them. them. Yeah, and to meet their families. And, and the whole time you're just thinking of two hours. Yeah. One hour. Half an hour. 15 minutes. Especially minutes. when before <laughs> she didn't even know these people. She could have been able to be like, yeah, kill Tom from the bakery and she would have never met him and might have been able to compartmentalize and be like, you know, it's a casualty of war. But because she met him and his family, it hit a lot harder to her that families were being torn apart. And she had to take that feeling and remind herself this is what they've been doing to our families. Mm-hmm. She went through a lot of emotional turmoil. She had to grow up really quickly in this book. And it was only a couple of weeks span. Mm-hmm. It was, if I remember correctly, like six, no, not even six months. I'd say three at best. Like three, four months from the beginning of the book to the end. Yeah, because it was supposed to be like the summer months and then they were moving because it's their summer home. Mm-hmm. So things moved very quickly. Oh, but yeah. So I just wasn't certain on that part. Um... Oh, I did have a favorite line, and I liked how this was used a couple of times. Okay. Um, So, Julian said this, and he said, the past is no, is, the past is so much greater than this future. Hmm. As a historian, I, ooh, I love it. So, (laughs) as someone who loves history, I feel that every day, like, the past is so much better than our future because when I look forward to our future not to get into politics but I I feel very sad like I don't know what's going to happen to my future and in the past everything has already happened so I know what's going to happen I, I know everything already I'm prepared of what's going to happen whereas in the future you don't know and that I feel like that phrase I felt was utilized in multiple areas throughout the book and i have a feeling it's going to be used throughout the entire series as well well julian did gift her the old map Mm -hmm. so that's possible was there anything else that you felt like talking about how did you feel i don't know if you wanted to talk about this but how did you feel about the death scene with the king. I saw that coming the second uh, that Alara was there. I knew she was going to use her powers some way to kill the king. Because she just did not like him. At all. I think she would have done it herself. But using Cal to do that not only does the king have to die by the hand of his heir who he groomed from a young age to take his place that he doesn't think is ready he told cal many times when you wear my crown when you're in my place you'll know like he he was getting cal ready for it but he wasn't letting cal be ready for it yet because i mean yeah he's 19 
I wouldn't want a 19-year-old king. Um, but Cal wasn't ready. I did like that the king said, you know, this isn't you. I know it's not you. So he wasn't dying with, like, betrayal in his heart. Except he was, because his wife and his youngest son were betraying him. But he tried to soften the blow to Cal as much as he could, even trying to protect Cal after he knew he was going to be gone. Because forcing a boy to kill his father that he loved and admired, instant trauma, which you see Mm -hmm. in the epilogue when they're in the train with the Scarlet Guard and how he 100% could break free and just decimate everybody. He's just sitting there like, my life's over and I really don't care. You could hit me with your gun, punch me, spit on me, light me on fire, see if I care. Mm-hmm. It was everything. it was a huge plot device. Definitely outlined the ruthlessness that Alara and Maven could feel towards another person, a family member of theirs. They just threw him away like cannon fodder. And then Maven wore his war medals to the execution arena. Mm-hmm. That little boy never earned any medals. But he took him right off of his dad's corpse, along with that crown and the ceremonial sword. And just set him on his body. Just, I'm gonna use these now, thanks dad, you definitely don't need them now. I really liked the, um, oh, what did they call it? The, the battle in the bowl of bones. Yep. And, which you led to that, but oh my gosh. So, I saw it coming from when shade supposedly died i saw like oh he's not dead Mm -hmm. there's no way there's no way and i was so glad i was right i mean same (laughs) i was like this is bullshit (laughs) it's too hockey meet him like what i'm so glad that she's not the only one in her family that is different Oh, right, we didn't even talk about that, about how Mare found out through Julian what she is. I mean, you said that Julian was the one that found, or helped her figure out who she was and how, but um, Julian found more of people like her. She was the next step in, well, not she, but people like her were the next step in evolution because... The Silvers evolved to have these abilities to, you know, survive. That's how evolution works. And now people from red bloodlines were also getting abilities. So they're considered a mix of red and silver blood. And her and Shade both have an ability. Mm-hmm. I wonder how long he had known about Reds and potential abilities. I think... I know know it was really sparked with her, but did he have, like, an inkling before? Julian? Yeah. Probably. I... That might be another reason why he doesn't like Alara and Maven, because it seems like Alara already knew about this and was exterminating them and julian being a scholar and a historian she probably went to him 
for help in, like, collecting data. Mm -hmm. And he probably flatly refused her. So I have a question. Yes? Why do you think Maven chose those four people to be executed during the the ball? Because he, he told the Scarlet Guard who to kill, when they would arrive, what they looked like, all of that. He made it seem like they dragged it out of him. But I'm pretty sure it was it was a plot with his like his mom knew. Yeah. They they figured it out. So I think what, the general why do you think? I think the general yeah. definitely was put on the chopping block because she opposed Alara. She mm-hmm. flat out told Alara, You're making a big mistake and Alara was like, I'm the queen, who do the, who do you think you're talking to? And so I definitely think she went on the chopping block for that. But I don't really remember anybody else except for, I think, Evangeline's brother was supposed to be one. Mm-hmm. And Evangeline's brother was, yeah. He just, he's just a big brute. Like, it's gonna hurt Evangeline. It's gonna wound the most powerful house besides the king and queen. And it will spark the silvers, that specific house who's powerful and has the ability to make weapons, I assume. You know, the metal benders mm-hmm. probably have all of the resources to make advanced weapons and technology. Um, killing one of their own, a beloved first son, that's gonna make them mad. I don't remember the other ones, though. Do you, what were they? They were... Oh, I can't remember their names, but they were pretty high ups. The one was the banker. Like, he is the one that funded... The majority, he was like the richest person in the kingdom kind of thing. Um, and he was the one with the twins. I think that one specifically would be for financial gain for the crown. Because where would that funding go if that the head of house died? I don't really know too much about like their laws and stuff, but it if makes sense. Cor- if I remember correctly in the book, it said that... If he died, then so does the money. Yeah, I don't think that Maven would do that. I think he was probably just saying that so that it would convince Mare and the Scarlet Guard that, like, yes, that is a person of interest. When really, I think the Crown probably would have seized his assets and been like, you know, he was murdered by the Scarlet Guard. His wishes would have been to continue funding war efforts. Um, I don't remember this part particularly. Who do you think caused the bomb to go off? I thought it was explained that somebody hit a gas main and it exploded. Oh, okay. Because, because I thought that it was an actual bomb. I think what had happened was when the when um they were saying that somebody did something to the floor and uh Evangeline's brother or cousin, it was one of the Samos uh, family either Lucas or I don't know how to say her brother's name because it starts with a P. P Ptolemus? Something like that. It reminded me of Ptolemy. Yeah. But uh, one of them fired their gun and it ripped a hole in the piping and then when Cal used his ability, it ignited the rest of the gas that was leaked. (laughs) Okay. Now, I would bet that Maven or Alara or somebody else made sure that it was a little loose. Because that that was the vibe that I was getting. That this was and this was not intended, obviously. 
by the Scarlet Guard, and it didn't seem like it was intended by Maven. Even in his darkest hour, it didn't really seem like he would not risk himself. Right. And that felt very risky. And I don't think... So it could have been completely an accident, and it was just... I think it was an accident that they took advantage of that showed how Alara was very eager to make anybody her enemy. And it... So there were a lot of casualties. There were nine people had died and 13 people were wounded, I believe. Right. If I remember that stat correctly, after the bombing and the the killing of the general, the treasurer, and I can't remember who the other guy was. The four people that Maven gave up to the Scarlet Guard. Yeah, but one of them survived. So, and then um, a bunch of other people, like the twins Mm -hmm. of the treasurer, he, those, those twins died, which was so heartbreaking. And honestly, Maven, Maven deserves a medal for how fantastic of an actor. (laughs) He is, because I know that he didn't intend for the twins to die, but I think that might have cracked him just a bit. Just just enough, like, okay, this is, this is getting a little too far. But of course he's not going to say anything to his mom, and he's not going to say anything to Mayor, because he can't. He, I think Maven is completely alone, and he has no one really else to blame but himself. Well, his mom can also be blamed for a lot of that, for silencing him and secluding him and potentially using his greatest fears against him constantly. So that would that would make any child... Compliant. Like I said at the very beginning, it would make any child want some reprieve from it. So doing whatever he has to do to make mommy proud. What was your favorite and least favorite part? Oh, goodness. I don't know if I have a favorite part or a least favorite part. Uh, I enjoyed all of it in the sense that it was written very well. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, there's nothing that I was, like, super attached to. I thought it was really sad and heartbreaking when Gisa tried to get Mare into uh, Summerton to help her with work, quote-unquote, and Mare was gonna pickpocket some rich people, and then when Gisa found out that Mare didn't get the chance to do that and tried to steal herself for the very first time and <laughs> got caught, uh, and they broke her hand. That, like, I understand. That's... I kind of understand. Like, as much as brutal punishment shouldn't be allowed i understand the idea of like thieves get their hands chopped off spice Mm -hmm. lose their eyes that kind of thing um but that was really gut-wrenching because mare was piling gisa up on this pedestal that she was gonna save the family she was the only one who was working Everybody else wasn't able to get an apprenticeship before they were shipped out and used as cannon fodder in a stupid, never-ending war. Gisa was the golden child, but then Mare, of course, has to ruin everything and took away her family's chance at a good life, and that definitely was an immediate, like, plummet 
in the plot line to, you know, hint to like a depression and oh no, where are the characters going to go from here? But I was really sad for Gisa because I think she actually liked to embroider and it wasn't just a job for her. It was something she enjoyed doing because mm-hmm. if I don't like my work, I'm not taking it home with me. She did. Yeah, she, and she gave it as gifts too. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor thing. I think it was nice that she got to see Shade again. Like, that was pretty cool and heartwarming, but I also was expecting that. Like, when the fight in the arena was coming to a head and they obviously won and, you know, but then you didn't know how they were going to get out. I was like, and then the Scarlet Guard appears. And then I turn the page and like, oh, well, mm, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. What about you? What were your favorite and least favorite parts? I think my least favorite part was how whiny Mares was a little bit in the beginning. <laughs> like, woe is me. <laughs> and um, I didn't feel like she really tried to get an apprenticeship. She just didn't care to, so she pickpocketed. Um... What, I think my favorite part, though, was probably her seeing Shade and just the relief that, that came because of it. Mm-hmm. And, like, her her brother, who she joined the Scarlet Guard because of his death, like, she, she knew that he was a part of the Scarlet Guard from the last letter that he sent to his family. And... Oh, God, it was so sad that he had to fake his death, essentially, to escape. And I just, I I felt like it was a good closing part of the beginning of the book. That portion ended well. The author was obviously tying up a couple loose ends and not leaving it for other books to do. Mm Mm-hmm. I would have been very disappointed if Shade stayed dead. I expected him to. I expected him to, like, come back in a different book. Somehow, someway. Yeah. Yeah. The Scarlet Guard is an interesting group. How do you feel about their dynamic? Um... There was just some things about, like, when they popped in that was too convenient. I just watched a video on TikTok about authors making things too convenient for their readers. Um, Like, oh no, I've backed myself into this corner. I don't know how to fix it now. And then, like, oh, conveniently, the tool that you need is right there, even though it shouldn't be. Like, when Mare and Maven went to the movies and there was a duct above them that just magically they crawled through to get to a cave that had a train running through it. That's Mm -hmm. wild. I don't believe that the Silvers would just build their city on top of something without digging it all the way up and making sure that absolutely any, anything that had anything to do with an old world or reds or wasn't silver they destroy because that's how they act but it's a plot device um 
they seemed fairly organized, like, as a, their own organization, but, um, and they were definitely fighting for something that was worth fighting for. And I'd like to say, you know, ah, the answer isn't violence, but it is. So I, that was my next question to you, was like, did they, were they violent enough or were they too violent as a group? Um, I think the violence was proportional to the suffering that they faced as a people. I would not expect people to live in putrid conditions like that and not take bodily revenge against somebody. Mm-hmm. One second. My cat's trying to rip up my carpet. <laughs> my cats are trying to get in my room trying to, they want to say hi um but for the most part like I didn't have any issues with them everything was just really convenient like first she wanted to get out of the city and then she goes to get out of the city and this Scarlet Guard is there and they'll help her for a price and then she finds out that the Scarlet Guard is inside the castle and they're, they're just everywhere, where they have no business being, but are. It made sense, but at times it didn't. All the people that she connected with were Scarlet Guard. It, it did feel very convenient. Like, okay, is everyone a part of the Scarlet Guard? Because that would make more sense. It really would. You know, I couldn't see how... If there's more than three service workers in, like, the royal palace who are a part of a secret organization that is fighting for freedom, I have a hard time believing that they wouldn't tell their comrades about it in, like, while they're doing the dishes or the laundry or changing beds or ironing clothes. Like, they've got a bunch of free time. To, not free mm -hmm. time, but they have a bunch of time to themselves where the Silvers aren't going to be watching them. There is 110% not going to be somebody sitting in the laundry room who is a Silver, or even a guard for that matter, watching the servants clean dishes or clothes, where they could say, hey, if you want your family to be free, if you're worried about your future, Come join us. You just need to help us smuggle somebody through the kitchen. Just act like you didn't see them. If the queen tries to interrogate you, think of something else. That was one of the things I didn't like, too. Okay, so I do not approve of suicide. I would like that pointed out first and foremost. But when that group was taken... How did they not come up with a, a plan just in case they were taken of, like, cyanide pills? Well, they did. The Wells had a cyanide capsule in when she got in, not a cyanide capsule, but she took something that instantly killed her uh, when she was brought before the king or something. I don't remember where it was, but she kills herself. She bites down on something and they, like, all the guards are like, oh, stop her, but it's too late, and she dies. 
I'm just surprised that, like, Kilron didn't, and, like, oh, the, the leader of the, uh, Lord, what's her name? Farley. With an F. What? Farley. Yep, Farley. Why none of them, because that would have been my first reaction, like, oh, God, the queen can read minds. We're screwed. How are we going to get out of this? I'm not going to wait till the last possible se- Well, maybe I would wait till the last possible second. But it just didn't, it didn't f- seem like they had that option. Yeah, that was a little inconvenient for them, but I would rather it be inconvenient than them have a convenient way out all of the time. It, that's true it kind but of that, forced a like mayor to do something about it i would have done that a little bit dif- bit differently but that's just me <laughs> but that's also because i like more mature characters and more mature themes like i like bloody death that's just that's just my thing i understand but there's some things i would have changed after the explosion There were a lot of things, actually. Well, I wouldn't say a lot of things. A couple of key things. We would have eventually got to the point, regardless, but it would have been a slightly different path. But overall, it was an enjoyable book. So what would you rate it overall? Out of five. Um, Like, Goodreads. Probably a three out of five. Okay. Explain. So, the world building didn't really happen until the middle of the book. Like it, you got to some of the world building, of course, at the beginning, but the world wasn't really explained until she was talking to Julian. And as a fantasy writer, that kind of irritates me. Like, I don't want a, a Tolkien read where there's five pages talking about a tree. Like, an info dump but, on the world. Yeah, like I don't want an info dump, but it felt like there was a lack of information for a good portion of the book that I felt like the character would have had. So I didn't think that she knew everything. By no means did I think that, but at least a little bit more. But there just wasn't a lot. Um, the book at time did feel rushed. Uh, and a couple of parts where a lot of things were happening all at once. It was like, okay, slow down just a little bit. And then there were other parts that felt a little slow. And I think that's um, just my personal preference. I also rated a three out of five because I don't actually think that it's meant for someone like me who likes more mature themes. Um, I believe that this book would be perfect for people in the age range of 15 to 21. I think that's a really good age range for this book. I'm unfortunately a couple of years too old for it, but it was an enjoyable book overall. I think that the characters matured and really grew into their own. You really got to see their entire personalities. It, they weren't as cut and dry as a lot of fantasy characters can be. They, not one single character really stuck to a particular personality trait. Like, even the queen, who is evil, she does love her son. 
and there were a few moments where she was like tucking his hair behind his head and like genuinely was like loving on him in a mother-son way of course not in Oedipus way mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um I did really like even though Maven was faking his brotherly love or at least a partial point of brotherly love with Cal Cal really did love his brother and he really did love the Silvers and he just he wanted what was best for the country his means were not very good but you know he was just a kid I felt like she did write the characters decently well for their ages and all of them had trauma all of them had PTSD and she (laughs) wrote the different parts of the PTSD pretty well too I think that she described having all that anxiety the, the flashbacks she didn't describe it that much but you could tell it was an undertone mm-hmm. at least I could tell that it was an undertone uh, the plot devices I felt were used well she obviously knew how she was going to write this book from the beginning she planned it out she knew how to get to certain points from certain points. There were a couple that, when you mentioned how convenient certain parts were, I think that's where she wasn't 100% certain. So that's when she was like, okay, I'm just going to make it a little bit easy for them. Because it's, how are you going to write how they get out? Like, how how would you have written they escaped Sydney? You know, I really don't know. I was hoping that the Scarlet Guard would come in and help them escape on their own and that Mare wouldn't have to jeopardize her position. But once Mare decided to do something, I knew that that was, like, probably the only way that it could have happened. Um, yeah, because if they hadn't have gotten out of the prison, the Queen and the King would have made an example out of them. It wouldn't have been the end of the Scarlet Guard. Somebody else would have taken over for Farley, but... It would have been a decent dent in the operation. Mm-hmm. So, how would you how would you have rated the book? So I rated it a full five, which I know you listened to the f- earlier episodes, uh, but this is a true five out of five because I enjoyed it. I ate it up. There was only a few cringy aspects. But because they were used in a way that I could be okay with it, like the love triangle. Was that necessary? No. But it made sense because Cal did rescue her. He felt some sort of responsibility for her. And he might not have loved her from the beginning, but he got to know her more and probably fell in love with her personality and how she is. And Maven was told to love her and grew to love her. So I can see how that came about. I don't particularly appreciate it, but it kind of makes sense. And the places where it stopped made sense. Um, I wanted to take a point off because I caught the... At the very bottom of a page, the author used... The forbidden words, she let out a breath she didn't know she was holding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's such an e- <laughs> Yep. <laughs> it's forbidden. 
remember that I won't write them in any of my stories. Or maybe I will write them in my stories so that when you read it, you get annoyed. <laughs> Make sure it's a dude holding his breath. I know when I'm holding my breath. Do you know when you're holding your breath? Because I do. That's, that's, well, when I'm in extremely stressful situations, sometimes I forget how to breathe. But I think that's just because my brain is trying to survive in other areas, like, you know, get out. Mm-hmm. But you and... don't, like, breathe out like, oh my god, I forgot to breathe. <gasps> you don't you do know. that. You go, your, like, body realizes that it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, and it does it on its own. Your brain doesn't have to wake up to do it. Now that I'm thinking about it, you don't hold a breath in i don't know like how how i hold my breath is when i forget how to breathe the first thing i do is breathe in not breathe out Mm-hmm. see i would take that phrasing differently it would be more like like if i wanted to show suspense and wanted to show that this person was unsure of the outcome i would write that the character took a deep breath and mm-hmm. held it waiting for their answer and then sighed in relief or sighed in exasperation or whatever, you know, like whatever emotion they need to feel for that scene. I would write it completely differently. Now, if I'm scared or fearful or like on the edge of my seat, it sounds weird. But like, I don't notice when my butt cheeks clench. And then I have to go, oh, and then actually think about like, unclench the cheeks man you're gonna get a you're gonna get a charlie horse in your butt (laughs) yeah i do have one more question for you sure do you think maven actually loves mare no you don't i think that he cared about her to the extent that he needed to i 100 percent Unless in the other books it is shown that Queen Alara is just full-on puppeteering him, like if she just has one of her hands up his butt and is moving his mouth, I think especially what happened in The Bowl of Bones shows that he's a narcissist. He doesn't care about anybody. He wants what he wants, and he will get rid of anybody that he has to. And that will, I think that will either be displayed by him cutting his mom off. So, okay, so my theories can be proven these ways. We either find out that his mom was puppeteering him by his mom discarding him and him joining the Scarlet Guard again, having to prove himself, being taken prisoner, and essentially not being trusted but then he has to go through the internal turmoil of nobody actually loves me. I put the put myself in this position where nobody can trust me, nobody likes me. My own mother, who used me for her glorification, threw me away when I was of no use to her, when I started fighting too much, when she wanted to be in control and didn't want to be puppet master anymore. Or we see him get rid of her, where I would then be verified that he is a narcissist, and if you're in his way, you won't be for very long. What if he kills her because he's tired of being controlled? 
I could see that. Because I can see that. Will you be reading the other books? I will. Okay, you'll have to let me know. I don't know if I will be reading them. Well, I can always send them to you. Okay. <laughs> Once I'm done. Alright, um... Did I send you a picture of the new cover that I make? Um, I don't think you did. Okay. I was gonna ask you if you wanted to talk about it, but that's okay. Um, how did you like the the cover that Victoria Aviard picked for her book? I really liked it. I have the hardcover and the dust jacket the dust jacket is a silvery color, what I imagine she wanted the silvers to kind of look like. And it's metallic. The inside has the family crests with a lot of like embezzled or not embezzled, embossed decoration. It was stolen from from a bank. Um, yeah, it's got the color and uh, the Scarlet Guard symbols on them. Um, they're just really pretty. I liked it. My cover, I like to draw the uh, female main characters because I like drawing women. So I drew Mare on the banks of the river on the other side of the stilts because the scene where Alara put the order into effect that the Reds were to be forced to watch the royal procession and then forced Mare to watch and like wiggled into her brain and made sure she couldn't move. That was so powerful to me. So I picked a like stance where it looks like she's about to fight and she has a little bit of lightning coming out of her hands and the stilts are behind her like she's protecting them. And you don't really know who she's facing off against, so it would kind of give the the book like a, okay, this girl is fighting for something. What's she fighting for? Who is she fighting against? So I'll send it to you when I'm done, and you can let me know if you like it. Alright, perfect. I'd love to see it. Well, I think that's everything. Thank you for reading the book with me. Would you want to do this again? Sure. Okay. All right, well, that looks like everything that we had time for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked today's content, please give us a like, a comment, and maybe a follow or subscribe. I'm on Patreon, Twitter, and Instagram at The Happiest Pumpkin. If you have any recommendations, please submit them via Patreon or emailing me at mavenpage at gmail.com. That is M-A-E-V-Y-N-P-A-I-G-E at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I hope you find some time to read. <laughs>